Okay, so good evening and welcome to our MBSE podcast. And this time, Christian and I are doing a new episode of our series MBSE around the world after Sweden and then uh, China. Uh, this time we visit the United Kingdom and we want to see how MBSE is uh, doing there. We are happy to have John Holt as our guest. And I think no one can tell us better about it. So, and who John is, uh, he will tell you best uh, himself. So please, John, introduce yourself. Okay, thanks very much, Tim. And uh, first of all, thanks to Tim and Christian for inviting me along. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. So for people who don't know who I am, my name is John Holt, and um, I've been doing MBSE for my whole career now, so for almost 30 years. I work for a company called Scarecrow Consultants Limited. Uh, we're based in the UK. I'm personally based in Wales in the UK. So for those of you in Europe, Wales is the slightly wet country to the left of England. For those of you in America, it's near London somewhere. Um, I'm also um, a professor of systems engineering at Cranfield University here in the UK. And if people are aware of INCOSI, the International Council on Systems Engineering. I'm the current technical director of INCOSI UK. And I've authored 17 books on model-based systems engineering and its application in uh, over over the years. So that's a that's a very brief introduction to me. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, John. So also from my side, a very warm welcome. And yeah, as the technical director, uh, you for sure can tell us in which industries in the UK is systems engineering or maybe already model-based systems engineering used? Well, it, it's interesting because I think the same as many countries, historically, systems engineering and therefore model-based systems engineering has been very strong uh, for decades in aerospace and defense. But what we're seeing now is lots of other uh, different industries coming on board. And I think one of the biggest ones at the moment is, is automotive. So, you know, from about five or seven years ago all of a sudden uh, automotive has become massive and and I, and I think this is important because I think um, what's important about some uh, well all industries in particular automotive I use those as the example is because of the, the the complexity of the vehicles of the systems that they're producing has increased so dramatically over the last few years in particular in areas like uh, everything is now connected so every device we buy now is now connected everything is potentially part of a wider system of systems and all of a sudden we've seen this sort of uh, this step change in complexity because of that and because of the different technologies involved and because of things like constraints so safety security standards and so on and also shifts in technology so again in automotive away from internal combustion engines over to electric it's been a massive change and a, and a shift in complexity and i think in order to cope with this complexity the the i think the techniques we were using 10 20 30 years ago a document-based approach and don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with a document-based approach it's not incorrect mm -hmm. but i think a document-based approach that worked 10 or 20 years ago is no longer adequate for the job because the complexity mm -hmm. has increased so much And I think as the uh, complexity of our systems that we're developing increases, therefore the complexity of the approach that we're taking to develop those systems must also increase. And we see in lots of other areas as well. So automotive is a very good example, but also medical devices we see now. 
uh, the last couple of years we've been involved in that um, energy as well. So uh, right from the, the whole spectrum from sort of nuclear fusion, and we're even doing some work in steam power at the moment. So we, we're covering uh, both ends of the spectrum of, uh, of energy there. But yes, yeah, certainly we've seen more and more diverse industries uh, adopting model-based systems engineering. And very importantly, because it's the need that's there. It's not because it's the flavor of the month or it sounds good, it sounds exciting. It's because there's a genuine need there to cope with this increased complexity that we're seeing in all of our systems. Mm -hmm. Wow, well, yeah. And, and for what, what purposes MBSE use? Now you can use it for, for different purposes. You can increase the, the communication between the team and you can use it to specify things or you can satisfy assessors with tons of generated documents now mm -hmm. you can do already simulation stuff and uh, other cool things so uh, is there um, a special focus in the uk well i mean we work with uh, we work with all different industries and you know lots of different companies uh, academia and government and it's been used in all sorts of different areas and one mm -hmm. of the things that i mean one of the things about model-based systems engineering is if you do a Google search on the benefits of model-based systems engineering, what comes up is lots of tool vendors saying, look what my tool does, look what my tool does. Mm -hmm. And they're not really the benefits of MBSE, they're things that the tool will do. And I think that the benefits of uh, are sort of context dependent. So it really depends on the stakeholders you're talking to. So we can deal with the same organization and if we deal with the engineers, we can say it's great, it's going to improve your, your specification, your design, your requirements and so on. But if, if we say that to a manager, they're not interested. So if we talk to a manager, we'll focus on, well, it will improve your cost, time and resource estimates. And if we're dealing with somebody at board level, we've got to focus on things like return on investment and improvement of the quality attributes of the systems. So it does vary enormously, but I think all of the, all of the topics that you mentioned uh, there, Tim, are definitely, uh, you know, we've seen it used in all of those areas, um, mm -hmm. but it really does vary. And as I say, we work with some organisations where different teams are getting different benefits from using MBC, ranging from, you know, one company, we want to halve up our development time. You know, we want to go from a six-year cycle to a three-year cycle. And whereas others are, oh, we want to improve our quality. But mm -hmm. what is interesting is we're finding that particular in industries are interested in, uh, or, and this is a very broad generalization, but tend to be interested in different aspects of it. So it's interesting you mentioned quality. Uh, when we deal with medical devices company, their main emphasis seems to be on, can we comply with the standards and the legislation? Because if we can't, we can't sell our products. So for them, that's the most important thing. We deal with um, sort of aerospace type companies with typically long life cycles, and they're more more interesting. Can we shorten our life cycles? So it really depends on the, you know, the stakeholders we're talking to. But we do see these trends in industries. Um, we see a lot more collaboration now between organisations. You know, whereas historically uh, people were more insular, we see a lot more mm -hmm. collaborations, and that's where areas like Tim, you mentioned the improved communication between the different stakeholders, and we're seeing that an awful lot as well now. So, yeah, it, it's, and I think it's because we work in lots of different industries that we can see these different applications being used. And I think if you were talk, if you were to talk to somebody who worked in a single organisation, which is most people, let's face it, they would give you a more definitive answer. This is how we use it. This is how we use it. And one of the, the big areas that we do use it for across industry 
is in defining an approach to model-based systems engineering. So actually using the modeling, using an MBSE approach to understand what their business business needs are to help them change the business. And, you know, my personal philosophy is when it comes to deploying MBSE, I treat that like a system. So of course I'm going to apply MBSE mm-hmm. to do that. And and that's that's an, a really interesting area that's a lot more prevalent now than we saw, um, you know, just, just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you estimate how well MBSE is used in the different industries? So is uh, defense and space still decades ahead or is it changing? No, I, I, I really don't think they are anymore. And, and I think that one of the reasons for this is if we take industries like automotive uh, medical devices, the life cycles are far shorter. And so they need to get in quicker and get the returns far quicker. So, you know, some of the automotive companies we deal with, they're going from a blank piece of paper to to a, a car rolling off the production line in under two years. You know, you, you look at a typical aerospace project, they haven't even looked at the requirements in the first two years, let alone produced anything. So we've seen these far shorter uh, uh, timescales. But I also think the, the maturity is, uh, with the adoption of MBSE, Has increased dramatically as well. So as I said, I've, I've been doing this for my whole career, even though it wasn't called MBSE many, many years ago. But I, I remember the first Incosi event I went to, I attended, was the International Symposium in 1999. So it, it wasn't even this millennium. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> and it was in Brighton in, in the UK. And um, and that's when I first got involved with Incosi. But I used to speak at a lot of conferences. So we go, we're going back 20, 22 years now. And The, the, the big argument I would have with people and the big point I was trying to convince people is modeling is a good idea. And that and people would throw things at me and they'd argue with me and it was it got very heated. But it was and, and the first book I wrote, which was very, very slim, it, it was actually it's pretty systematic. It was called UML for Systems Engineering. It was applying UML to um, and people were getting very cross about that. But the whole point of the book, the emphasis was on this is why you should model this is model, why modeling is a good idea and then we found about probably 15 years ago the question changed and it went from why should we model to how should we model and so there was a lot more acceptance about modeling so mm-hmm. uh, so if you look at the books that we written 10 years ago we've got one called the monster which is like a thousand pages long that weighs <laughs> more than a fat baby essentially it's an enormous great uh, book and Because the question had changed and what people wanted to know then is how do we model efficiently and effectively? And so there were a lot more interesting things like frameworks and processes and mm-hmm. these kind of, and the and, and the art of modeling as well. And what we found in the last probably three to five years is the question, the emphasis has changed again. And now the emphasis is very much on, well, how do we now deploy this in our organization? So mm-hmm. I think the maturity and the adoption of MBSE has increased enormously over the last couple of decades. And I think and as the adoption increases and the maturity increases, then the needs of the people using it also increase. So now it's a lot more about, well, how do we deploy it on a project that's already running? You know, that's all that's that's midway through a project. Can we still get benefit? Uh, how do we um, how do we deal with our people, process and tools um, now? So, so I think the question has changed, but certainly the adoption is far more widespread And in terms of the, the, the number of people, it's certainly increased. But again, it, it, I mentioned Incosi again, and I use Incosi in the UK as a good 
indicator. If you went back 10 or 15 years and you looked at the, the, the companies typically attending our, what's now called the Annual Systems Engineering Conference, the ASEC, and I'm sure you, you, you'd see a similar pattern across the world, it was 80, 90% aerospace and defence. And mm. it's no longer the case anymore. We've seen all sorts of uh, different companies getting involved now and getting involved with Incosi. So we have the UK advisory board uh, here, and that's a group of about 40 companies who are almost like a steering committee for Incosi UK. And you look at the diversity on those companies now, we've got civil engineering companies, we've got IT companies, uh, as I said, automotive, uh, medical power, a lot more academia involved now. So suddenly the adoption has become far more widespread. And because of that, the questions that are being asked have become uh, a lot more widespread as well. Um, and mm -hmm. also that, that's certainly the, mm -hmm. the picture we're seeing in the UK at the moment. And certainly just in terms of the number of clients that we have now, the diversity of them certainly increased. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that in your new book, you only need 445 pages to yeah, demystify it was, it, <laughs> systems engineering. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, well, the, the reason for you see, we, we wrote the monster, and uh, which was enormous. Mm -hmm. And then people were saying, "Yeah, we like it, but I can't show that to anybody. There's just too much. There's too much." It. So then we wrote a thing called "Don't Panic," which is a very slim book, which is only fifty-five <laughs> pages long. Which, which there's now a whole series of these books published by Encozy UK. So that was aimed at the the new people and the managers. So the, the demystified kind of sits between the two. So it's more detailed than the. Um, um, and don't panic, but it's not quite as uh, mind-numbing as the thousand-page monster. And of course, if you've got somebody that operates at board level, uh, we've got a book for them as well, which is the children's book that's aimed at eight-year-olds to eleven-year-olds, which is more. And if they don't, if they don't understand the engineering, they can just colour it in. So that, that's aimed more at people at, at CEO level. But, <laughs> but there we go. But yeah, so the, the, the demystified book's an interesting one, and I was approached to write that by an Indian publisher. And again, mm -hmm. it's interesting because although it's sold across the world, obviously the demand was coming from uh, India. And it's interesting, we, we were talking before about India and China and, and you know, the adoption of engineering um, in, in certain countries. And yeah, we've just seen a far wider audience. Um, and also because of who I am, if somebody asked me to do something, as you, as you now know, I can't say no, I have to just agree to it because my <laughs> ego won't let anybody else do it. So this is why I end up taking on lots of these projects and committing to all sorts of weird talks and things that I, that I wouldn't ordinarily. So when they approached me to do it and they said it was aimed at this particular market and people who are new to the field but wanted uh, some detail and wanted a case study going all the way through it. So th there was quite, um, not that strict, but they had a very good set of criteria that had come from their marketing department. And again, that was interesting because the marketing was predominantly done, as I said, in, in sort of India. So, and it's interesting seeing this, these these countries really take on board um, systems engineering, and in particular, model-based systems engineering. Mm -hmm. So, I think that's a very encouraging picture for MBSE globally. I, I bought your book, but I must admit I haven't read it yet. Um, I don't care as long as you buy it, Tim. The, the title, Demystifying Systems Engineering, sounds a little bit like you, again, try to answer the, the why question. So why should I do a system engineering? Um, but, it, but it, 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 um, the, the Demystified it is really, that, that's more from the publisher. It's, I think it's a good ah. title, obviously. But mm -hmm. they, they do a, a series of books called Demystified. 
um, which, which are aimed at this particular. And it's kind of like so in Cozy UK now we have the Don't Panic books, mm -hmm. which are you know set at a higher level. But yeah, so when they approached me and they said, you know, this, and they sent me examples of what some of the other ones were, but they were all about coding, so I couldn't really read them. But uh, they were so that um, so yeah, so the, the title of that and um, that, that was one of the things that they uh, kind of came up with. But apart from that, they gave me quite a lot of freedom in the book. To, to to write what I wanted, so it was a very good process working with them, yeah. uh, writing. With them. Yeah. I I took a short look into it, and uh, it was interesting for me that you are referring at the end or at the beginning of every chapter to how does it comply to ISO fifteen two eighty eight. Well, so, I, I think uh, to me the, the the provenance of engineering is very important, and I think. Uh, Demonstrated compliance is very important. Mm -hmm. I think increasingly for a number of industries now. And, you know, I'm the first to admit things like ISO standards aren't perfect, but it gives us a good, it gives us a good target to aim for. And one of the problems you'll get is with, with model-based systems engineering, people want to say, well, how, do, how does it relate to the way that we do things already? Or, you know, how can it solve these problems for us? So that was a very deliberate part of the book is wherever possible, are related and it's something that we reflect in our working philosophy philosophy anyway we try and relate it to what's what's acknowledged as sort of best practice and in the world today so the two big standards we use in the book are obviously 15 to 88 which is more of the process side of things but also the uh, 42010 and the associated uh, standards which are more about architecture and architecture framework um, but we use those as a central part obviously of all the modeling that we do because when we do modeling, a large part of the book is advocating creating a good framework for the model. And so, again, we want to reference that to best international practice. Mm -hmm. And I think the two standards work well together. As I said, the, the standards aren't perfect by any means, but they're, they're a really good best practice model. They're acknowledged across the world. And it just gives you that extra level of credibility. Um, because I, I know from experience, people will say, yeah, but we do things like this already. How does MBSE help us? So it's trying to, it's trying to preempt that question, if you like, and say, mm -hmm. well, here's your best practice model. You can use it to do this. You can use it to do this. But what's, what, what that also allows you to do, which is very interesting, is, you know, I don't need to tell you two about things like reuse, but for lots of people who don't have a modeling background, this is quite big news to them. And when you can say, well, actually, for this part of the ISO standard, remember that thing we did a while back and we produced these views in this model? We can reuse those for this part as well. So things that we did in requirements and we were doing scenario modeling and things like that, we can reuse those now as part of our acceptance testing that we're now using as part of our V&V. And so it allows yeah. you to, to do things like that and to make these references back. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's very important as well because... I don't want to get too much into reuse, but reuse is one of those things that I remember back in the sort of uh, mid eighties and early nineties, everything was about reuse and object orientation. <laughs> and there were a lot of myths and a lot of expectations that weren't quite met, but from a modeling point of view, I think reuse is, is very, very possible when it's done properly. And so I think it, that was an important point that we wanted to make as well. And again, the use of standards is a, is a good, gives us a good mechanism to show that particularly when it came to, so there's one chapter on management, for example, and almost all the views that we create in management are based on the engineering views. And, and, and that, that was a, that's a nice exercise to do. And that's a point that we're often trying to make to people as well, is why do we have these two completely separate disciplines that won't talk to one another? 
when actually we're all looking at the same thing. And I think this is a classic problem that we have in systems engineering. To me, one of the biggest problems that we have with systems engineering is the word engineering because it scares people away. Because people will say, well, I'm not an engineer. I can't possibly understand what you're talking about. We do things differently. Whereas mm -hmm. if you say systems thinking or a systems approach, oh, everybody wants a systems approach. Everybody wants a <laughs> systems thinking. But yeah, you say systems engineering and people people run for the hills screaming, so which can be a, right. a bit of a problem. Yeah, I also have more and more customers asking for ISO. I think ISO provides some stable, more stable areas in this very dynamic environment, so it mm. uh, feels a little bit more safe. So many people ask me how to map Sysmo to ISO and the Sysmo and ISO standard and this and standard yeah. and, and so on. And it, and it is, and people like the, the, the comfort of ISO as well. We used mm -hmm. to have an expression in the UK, I'm sure it was worldwide, that said nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, right? I, I won't comment on how valid that is as a statement now, <laughs> but it's that same philosophy, which is, well, if you're referencing ISO, you're not going to get into trouble for, uh, you know, complying with an ISO standard. Oh, that was my cat. Just yes. leaping up then, making a, he, he's not a big fan of ISO. As soon as I mention that, he leaves the room. So. Um, yeah, I think it, I thought, oh, sorry. Uh, it was also very interesting what you said about the maturity of MBSE. Um, mm. And I think, well, in, in the past, tools and, and methods uh, could do much more than the people needed. Um, mm. But I think now we are in a change, and today people, need more than the tools and methodologies can provide. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Tim. Absolutely. And and I think for so many years, uh, this I will say now this is my personal opinion and not aimed at any particular tool vendor. Um, but for so many years, we had tools that were doing so, so much stuff that nobody would ever use and would, mm -hmm. it, was never required. I mean, who's ever wanted shadows on their lines on a dark and this sort of insanity and all these different techniques and all these that um, people, right. marketing people try to convince us we needed and, and, and we, you know, just give us the basic functionality. Um, mm -hmm. But I think for many years, the, all the tools were way ahead of the game and were providing functionality that, you know, people weren't using. But I think suddenly now, the last five years or so, I, I agree with you, Tim, I think now the tools are playing catch up. And I think in some cases they're focused on the wrong areas. Um, but I think also, like I said, we're living in a connected world. I think this idea of uh, a single vendor, people are mm -hmm. finally realizing is not particularly realistic, particularly when you work in a big organization, when you work in a, a large company, you're going to be using multiple tools from different vendors. Um, and I think one of the biggest issues at the moment is tool interoperability. So actually, you're using a, a requirements tool from one vendor. You're using a system or modeling tool from another vendor. We've then got a PLM environment that somehow sticks all this together. We've got the mathematics and the simulation side of things. And we need all these things to work together. And I think at the moment, most of the tools that I see on the market are shockingly bad mm -hmm. in this area of tool interoperability. And I think mm -hmm. particularly in areas like the visual world of SysML, compared to the, the formal mathematical world of simulation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've we got mechanisms in SysML that give us that bridge, you know, so things like parametrics give us a natural bridge into those. But I think many of the tools at the moment are, are terrible, uh, to be yes. quite frank, in that area. And I think this is an area that needs to have a lot of improvement. And mm -hmm. I also think that you look at some tools and the usability of them, 
Um, if, if you if you went back ten or fifteen years, it was it was the same with many industries, but software in particular. Um, software was telling you what you wanted. The vendors were saying, no, no, you, you should do that. You want to do it like this. You want to do it like this. People aren't that willing to accept that anymore. And I think mm-hmm. using something we did speak about briefly earlier, Tim, but you know, using a tool with an interface that's twenty or thirty years old and hasn't really moved on is mm-hmm. is is no longer good enough. And yes. And, and I, I don't think some of the vendors realise that usability is such a big issue uh, mm-hmm. at the moment because it, it really is. And again, I, I would rather that the vendors focused on making the core functionality very usable, user-friendly and compatible with other tools and so on than having the equivalent of windings on a, uh, mm-hmm. on, on a modelling tool, which is essentially what they, they're doing mm-hmm. in many cases. Um but but yeah, and you think any other software, if it had an interface that old, you, you wouldn't, uh, you, you know, you wouldn't go near it. But um, yeah. but 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 I really think that's a big issue. And to to my mind, that I think they're the two biggest issues I have with them. The first one at the moment is the the whole interoperability of the tools, mm-hmm. um, and also the, the usability of them. And these things aren't cheap either, you know, as we've discussed before. Um, and they seem to be getting more more expensive as time goes on. And I think that the, the responsibility is on the vendors now to actually produce something that's more fit for purpose than many of the tools are. Mm-hmm. That's right. as diplomatic as I can be about tools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have two comments in the live chat this time. So um, oh, okay. one recommendation for your book, that it's a great book, by the way. And we have a comment from... Thanks, Mum. She always joins <laughs> in on these podcasts. <laughs> And we have a comment from Mark who suggests that we just have to rewrite the standards as models. Well, th- th- this is a really important point, and it's something that I've been, I've spoken to ISO to, I've been involved with ISO for a number of years, for years and years and years. On the, and one of the ways that we demonstrate compliance is we model the standards. Mm-hmm. And again, anybody with any modeling knowledge will know that just the very act of modeling gives you a very good indication on how well written something is. And if something's very well written and well specified and you model it, the model just falls out and it's, it's easy. If it's difficult to do the modeling, if there's a lot of ambient, it tells you about how how, how badly written the, the, the source information is. And we've been doing this for years and years with, uh, in fact, one of the first, um, what we now refer to as the, the sort of frameworks we use and so on, uh, one of the first ones that, that we produced back in, in, in fact, I'll tell you how long ago it was, I mentioned the first Incosi conference I went to was in 1999. The paper I presented was on using UML to model standards, right? So, and because standards were so comp, it, look at standards, look at best practice models. There's hundreds of them. They're very complex. They all use different language. They're difficult to communicate with people. People don't understand them. It's the perfect candidate for modeling. You know, it ticks all the modeling boxes why you need to model. And we, why people don't define standards using models is beyond me. And I've spoken to, not just I, so to different standards bodies before as well, to say, you know, you should be doing them like this because it, it makes them far less ambiguous. It makes them easy to communicate. You can translate into different languages far easier. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a uh, – so, Mark, I love you, Mark. That was an excellent point, and uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. But also when it comes to compliance, if we model our own processes and frameworks – using the same techno- modeling techniques that we then 
model our standards with and our best practice models, the compliance we can build into the models then and we can mm -hmm. actually import them into the tools and the compliance is then built into our to our overall model. So, and to me, it's so obvious, yet so few people do it, you know, and, and I think that's a, a, a really, really good observation there from By the way, we, we started um, creating a document generation from the model for the SysML1 specification, and right. we found many inconsistencies in the, in the yeah. specification. Um, yeah. and, and the previous SysML1 versions and also the UML versions are well, partly they are modeled, but most of the stuff is pure text document. And yeah, and you see this in in, in so many standards, and uh, particularly if you mm -hmm. do any work in frameworks, and um, you know things like the the, the defense based architectural frameworks, so that the the Modas, the Dodas, the Zindas, the NAFs, and so on. Mm -hmm. If you you just do the most basic of modeling on those, and they they, they expose themselves for the bag of spanners that they really are. So. Mm -hmm. Yes, but model, absolutely, model standards, model best practice uh, references, whether it's in-house procedures, whether it's framework definitions, and it will give you all sorts of insights in, into what you're doing. And it, it gives you just a really good indication of how good the source material is. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we have a very interesting discussion in the chat about interoperability, and I guess we have to have it as an own topic uh, on another day. But, definitely, uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but for now, I would like to change the topic a little bit on your professorship. So mm. you're teaching systems engineering, you're teaching at a, at a university. Is it the only university you, where you can have systems engineering lessons or is it wider spread? And what do I do when no, I mean, I'm a clearly, professional? And I it, it's clear that it, it, it's the best taught uh, systems engineering in the UK, if not the world. Um, but apart from that, we, we've seen a, an increase in the number of um, universities that are offering systems engineering. And more importantly than that, we've seen a, a, a big increase in the quality. And I think it's fair to say, if you went back 10 years and you looked at universities, not, not all, but some universities, they, they would look at systems engineering and go, well, we'll just take a bit of mechanical, a bit of electrical, a bit of civil, a bit of software, or a bit of management, or we'll mix it all together, and out comes a systems engineering degree, for example. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing now is actually, and to me, that, that's kind of a master of non kind of approach, you know. But what we're really seeing now, the last sort of five or 10 years, is universities creating these courses from scratch and then bringing in other modules, obviously reusing from other as and when, but actually um, they're, they're really holding very well together as um, as systems engineering courses. When it comes to modeling and a problem that I've often had with, with uh, which is good news for me because one of the things I do in Scarecrow is I teach modeling, is people are leaving university and they've been taught something like UML or SysML, but they've been taught by somebody who's never used it in anger. They've been taught by somebody who's read the spec and understands it and understands modeling. But, but you know, as you'll, as you'll both know, there's a big difference between understanding what the diamond means and should it be colored in and not and actually applying this onto a real project and and i think that that's very interesting and that's what we see a lot of now and I, I think also to be fair it's it's why i was offered my position in the first place or one of the reasons it, it was offered uh, apart from the good looks was because i had lots of industrial experience and they wanted to bring that they wanted to bring that into the course and and i think that's very important as well so we've seen a lot more uh, systems engineering being adopted 
And we're also seeing a lot more now that the default is modeling is involved in it somehow, even if it's not, you know, full, what I would call sort of stage five MBSE, this modeling is, is an increasingly important part of what we're doing um, when it comes to systems engineering. So I think the, the education system is uh, is improving. We do in, and we have some working groups within Code UK to look at this. And in fact, I do work with, I've mentioned very briefly the children's book that we wrote, but I do, we have what we call STEM in the UK. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And so it's really promoting things like, for me, obviously, it's all STEM, but secretly the E part of STEM uh, to school children. So I'm also involved in doing, um, well, I say I'm involved. I haven't been for the last 15 months for obvious reasons. But uh, I used to do a lot of sort of evening lectures and uh, science festivals, music festivals. I've got a music festival coming up at the end of July. Uh, so what I also do, which uh, you probably most people don't know, I do. Uh, I'm also a magician um, oh. as well as being a system <laughs> engineer. So I do uh, science and music festivals where I okay. use magic to uh, communicate uh, systems engineering to people. So we can talk about things, all the things we talk about in modeling, good communication, looking at things from different points of view, visualization, all these kinds of things. So visualization, the things that we would think about in SysML, we can use as a basis for doing memory acts and things like that. So I can memorize a deck of cards using the same visualization techniques I use. I used to model, you know, a car or an airplane or a medical system. Mm -hmm. So, so th there's a lot more work being done trying to get into younger uh, to convey um, engineering, in particular systems engineering. Is obviously, my emphasis uh, to the younger generation as well. And because obviously you want to get them before they go into university to so try and get them excited and kind of inspired in some way. And, and I think that's very important. And we're starting to see some of that come through now. And, uh, and it's also it's a sign of getting old as well. When, when I meet some when I meet an enormous man, for example, or, or, or a full grown woman, and they say to me, oh, I saw you when I was a child at a school. It makes me feel happy inside, but <laughs> old on the outside uh, when that sort of thing happens. So I think it's important that we, we can, yes, get it into universities and yes, improve the way we're doing that. But I also think it's important that we can we can go before that and get children, uh, you know, a younger age because everybody's mm. naturally curious about things. And, you know, you mentioned engineering, people, um, people switch off. You mentioned problem solving, everybody gets excited, you know, and what's engineering if not problem solving? And we do it by, you know, at the simplest level, drawing pictures of stuff. And that's naturally how people work. That's naturally how people think. And for some reason, that gets driven out of people's minds to naturally think in images and visualise things um, as we go through the education system. Mm -hmm. um, uh, would you say that there's something special about MBSE in the UK compared to other countries, except John Holt? Well, yeah. <laughs> this is what I get. That's special. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it, it's particularly special uh, in in the UK. Um, I, I think many countries. It's a big stereotype, but many countries have a particular mentality as well in the way that I go about in the way that they go about things. And what I've seen in the UK is these mentalities can be associated with industries. So, again. 
I'm engineering space. If they were early adopters of systems engineering and, and model-based systems engineering, but they, again, broad generalization, far less open to new ideas than you mm -hmm. get automotive medical devices. They, you know, they're coming to the party late, but they're having a very good time when they get there. You know, and, and they're a lot more receptive to try and change the way that they work and so on. Um, and I think that's the big thing to me, the, the big blocker with MBSE. It's the people, you know, we often talk about people, process and tools. It's the people side of things. And it's winning that battle with people. It's getting them to be able to see for themselves rather than just tell them, do it this way, do it this way. It's great. Getting them to see for themselves and realize that actually this is a good way to do things. And there are benefits in it uh, for different people. So it's that attitude change. And I found that that's uh, more to do with the industries than the sort of geographically where we go. Um, and it can also be, you know, a younger generation coming through tend to be more open to new ideas than, mm -hmm. and I include myself in this, old, white, middle-aged, straight men, essentially, which is what the industry <laughs> is full of at the moment. But as we see more diversity from, you know, in all different areas coming through, um, coming through engineering, because I, I still think we're behind on this, but I think a natural uh, emergent property of diversity is people having a more open mind and people being more receptive to, you know, maybe slightly different or newer ideas than people of older generations. Um, and, I, and I think that's very important. So I think the future's very bright. And I, and I think that's what we've got to focus on is look at the future and say, yeah, can we inspire the next generation of engineers? And wow, what, can the, what, what is it possible they can achieve? That just with a more open mindset and with, you know, open up their eyes to these different techniques. So things that have been taking me 30 years to shout at people and finally get them to convince, you know, what about people who don't have to do that, who can just try out these new ideas and new areas and that the potential uh, has got to be enormous across the, you know, across the world. Yeah, one one very funny thing is if you follow Scarecrow Consultants on LinkedIn is that you publish every week a riddle, a sysmillinary mm. uh, on song uh, titles uh, expressed in a sysml diagram. So, who, who so so we've um, <laughs> I, I I like puzzles i like terrible jokes uh i like music i like films so th there's a game there's a very popular sort of parlor game that's called pictionary which is like picture dictionary so you draw pictures that represent films and, and so on and so he started off as a bit of a joke where it was well you, when when i do courses and conferences and things and i and i would say oh you can represent any any information using modeling because it's just a way to visualize things and so people would, would say oh can you do this can you do this so it started off as a bit of a joke doing things like that. But no, we do it every Friday now. So it's usually uh, a film or a uh, or a song. Um, so if it's a film, it might be the film title or it might be. A, so this week we, we've actually got a scene from a film that we've uh, we've done with a sequence diagram. Um, and so we use SysML to, uh, to, to visualize either the title or some of the lyrics of a song or whatever. Um, occasionally we'll do it for people. Uh, very occasionally we'll do it for a type of cheese so it really depends on what we do but we've got quite a big following on this now and it's it is interesting wherever i i say wherever i go wherever i used to go and will hopefully be going again soon people come and approach me and uh, you know i was in america for example a few years ago and rick stein came up to me and he says every friday we gather the whole research group round and uh, we all see who can get it first there's a bit of a competition 
going on and, it, and it's really fascinating you just go what really that 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 terrible puzzle that we do every week um but it but it's great and it gets people interested and a uh, very occasionally people say they learn a bit of sysml from it as well but I, I think it's getting people thinking in an abstract way and it's not just mm-hmm. about designing the new airplane the new car the new train or whatever you can use these techniques to, to convey any kind of information and in fact it was rick stein that said to me which really stuck in my mind he said well you can only truly master any language if you can express humor in it and he <laughs> and he said and that's what system element does so he uses that as an example to some of his students <laughs> and i think that's very important so uh, if you do go onto our linkedin page and you do this you have to go with an open mind and bear in mind there are some terrible terrible misinterpretations of song titles <laughs> and things like that on it so uh, um, but yeah, so we, we do that every Friday. It's a good fun thing. So come along and, uh, and join in if you do. And if you're very lucky, you might even have it dedicated to you one week. That's that's the uh, that, that that's the yes. goal, Tim. <laughs> yeah, last week. It reminds me of a great film. Well, very good. Um, is it correct that I s- that you published some of them in a book? I think yeah, I saw we, we it do somewhere. Some- so well, when we go to conferences and things, so we'll collect like a year together and mm-hmm. put, uh, just print them in a book and we can, uh, well, we, we normally give them out uh, just as a, like a free thing and people tend ah, to yeah. like it. And uh, and then we, we give them out as prizes and things like that as well. But then we, we print them through an online uh, publishing uh, company. And um, mm-hmm. so just, just for a joke, Simon, one of my colleagues who I write a lot of the books with, he said, oh, we'll just put it up for five pounds and see if anybody's stupid enough to buy it. Somebody in Canada bought 50 copies. <laughs> hey, full with money, as they say. Yeah. Ain't hardly a fool at all. But but no, so the, the, we, we do the... So people want the hard copies, just send me an email and we'll send you some out. So we, we give those away at conferences and things like that. We don't normally charge for those. But it's normally just like the last year that we've done and put together. And it's kind of nice to, just to have them in your... And you can no kind need of to see, copy it from, from LinkedIn or so. so. Yeah, yeah. So come and come and see us at the next conference, and uh, and you can have a, a signed copy with a yes. personalised message in Sysml, especially for you. What's your next conference? The next, um, the next face-to-face one I'm doing is hopefully the Incosi UK Annual Systems Engineering Conference mm-hmm. in November of this year. Uh, that obviously takes place in the UK. Um, I'm heavily involved in that because I'm the technical director, so I'm responsible for getting all the papers reviewed and all the technical content. So that'll be the next one that we're at. I'm appearing at some, uh, quite a few online ones over the next 12 months as well. Um, I've got quite a few German events coming up, actually. You're mm-hmm. the first of many German events that are, that are coming up. So um, so if you like this, come and see me at some of the others. I'll be saying the same thing, but with... Uh, slightly different hat on maybe or something like that but but yeah so there's, there's quite a few coming up i mean one of the good things about covid is it's i get invited to a lot more international conferences than mm-hmm. i used to uh, it's, it's not quite as nice sat on my sofa and imagining that i'm in paris in this oh i was supposed to go to paris as one of the keynotes in december um at christmas time i thought that would be great and um take my girlfriend we'll have a lovely time and we didn't instead we sat here and drank red wine on that evening and <laughs> pretended that we were in Paris. So uh, not quite the same. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Great. Okay. So we are so, live for now forty two minutes. That's yeah, time. Correct. Um, and I have I have still three tasks for our listeners. Uh, the one is give us a thumbs up on YouTube. 
so you can support the channel. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss out the next live stream. And last but not least, buy the book of John. Yes. The new book. Not just that one, all <laughs> of them. All 17. All of them. Okay. 17. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So but buy all 17 of them. I'll give you a free system Elinary. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. And Tim. Well, the, the next topic something? is um, not planned yet. Um, we have some ideas, but we have no next topic, no date yet. And it's also a little bit summer break time. Um, but, well, we will do something, pretty sure. Um, and, well, I think that's it so far. No? Well, I'd just like to say thanks thanks to both Christian and Tim for inviting me on. It's, it's, it's been a delight. And I'd also like to say very sincerely, uh, good luck in the football tomorrow night to, uh, to you two and everybody in Germany. <laughs> so now you have to watch the YouTube video if you are uh, just listening to it um, to see what John really meant. Yeah, we could, also... could spoil the result for tomorrow. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> yeah, John, also from my side, was an honor yeah. to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, I look I look forward to seeing you both in person in the next year. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so good. and well then do not forget. Trust us. We are systems, we are systems engineers. engineers. <laughs>